If you're a pastor, elder, deacon, nonprofit board member, or business owner, I need you to listen to this. K&K Furnishings needs to be on your shortlist. K&K Furnishings are committed to helping you find the right furnishings for your church or organization. These guys specialize in quality worship seating, welcome centers, cafes, nurseries, classrooms, as well as stage and podium furnishings. The two owners have over 70 years of combined pastoral experience, so not only will every transaction be handled with integrity and professionalism, but they have the experience to provide you with the perfect solutions for your furniture needs, and they absolutely understand your budget constraints and demands. K&K Furnishings are devoted to providing you quality pieces that save you money. They can do this because they don't have the overhead of a brick and mortar store and they have relationships with over 200 manufacturers nationwide. Look, we all know there's a lot of junk out there. K&K understands that many times bargains aren't true money savers. They end up costing you more in the long run. At K&K, they believe that quality furnishings don't have to be outrageously expensive. And here's the best part. K&K Furnishings sells nationally and can also provide in-person consultations in Michigan, Ohio, and Indiana. If you can't meet in person, they'd be happy to set up a Zoom consultation for you today. So whatever your next project is, whether it's your home office or your church sanctuary, K&K Furnishings is the only place you need to look. Go to www.kkfurnishings.com to see how they can help you or call 567-318-4520. That's www.kkfurnishings.com or call 567-318-4520 or click on the link in the description of this episode. K&K Furnishings, furnishing business, education, worship, and hospitality for the glory of God. Hey guys, before we get into this week's episode, I got to tell you about Jacob's Supply. Jacob's Supply is the place you got to go for all of your material needs. These guys bring you construction supplies and appliances for up to 50% off retail price, all brand new. Your home builder needs some lumber? Jacob's Supply has you covered. You a deacon at your church and you're in charge of that next Narthex floor job? Jacob's Supply has got you. Heck, they got Cortec Luxury Vinyl Plank right now for $3.59 a square foot. Go look that stuff up at Lowe's or Home Depot, man. That stuff is selling for $7 to $8 a square Square foot. That's over 50% off retail. Even if you just have some home projects you're working on, Jacob Supply is the place for you. I just built an outdoor grilling area this spring for that old smoker and grill. Guess where I got the metal roof, lumber, and screws? Yeah, that's right, Jacob Supply. Looking for a fridge, stove, washer, dryer? They got them all, and their name brand. Samsung, Bosch, Frigidaire, all 20, 30, 40% off retail. Brand new and ready for you. Located in Temperance, Michigan, it's worth it to stop by even if you're a few hours away. And remember, Jacob Supply can ship products nationally too. So even if you're out of state, you gotta check them out. Follow them on Facebook at Jacob Supply or call them direct at 734-224-0978. That's 734-224-0978. 0978. Remember, Jacob Supply, quality building materials at wholesale prices. And now, on to the show. Exploring theology, doctrine, and all of the fascinating subjects in between, broadcasting from an undisclosed location, Dead Men Walking starts now. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Dead Men Walking. I'm your host, Greg, and I am all by myself today. Our co-host, our fearless co-host, Jason, is uh, at his real job, as we call it. And he wasn't able to make this episode, but I do have a very special guest on the line. He is calling in today, maybe not from an undisclosed location. Maybe he will disclose his location for us. (laughs) Matt, how are you doing, brother? I'm doing well. You are not alone. I am right here with you for this one. (laughs) All right. (laughs) 
So we didn't get to meet at the Fight, Laugh, Feast concert. I did see you. I think we passed each other a couple times. I really wanted to get you on the podcast while we were down there uh, because Mm -hmm. I started listening to your podcast, which we're going to talk about here in a few moments, How to Build a Tent, a few weeks prior. And it was just such a busy, crazy, I mean, you were there, you understand. It was just like, I mean, we had like 12, 13 hour days sometimes. Um, Joyful chaos. Joyful chaos, right? Rowdy chaos. (laughs) Uh, So I I did, I'm glad I got to reach out to you and have you call in because you have a unique perspective on quite a few things. But before we get into that, can you just introduce yourself to the listeners a little bit about yourself and uh, maybe the podcast that you're hosting right now? Sure, absolutely. And first of all, I just want to say that is an awesome intro to your podcast. Oh, thank you. <laughs> uh, yeah, my name is Matt Williams. I live in Florida, and that closed as I'm going to get because there's some crazies out there in the world. Uh, I've been in business, working in the career center for like 25 years. My dad put me to work at 13, working for his construction company, where he paid me an experience. I did not get paid in any amount of money whatsoever, and I hated him for it at the time, but I love him for it now and is responsible for the work ethic I have today. I have an MBA that's pretty much worthless from Pepperdine. And for the most part, if you listen to my show, I discourage getting the MBAs for the most part. I have started several companies. I I work as a corporate consultant. I also consult for small businesses. And I have two podcasts. One is called How to Build a Tent, which is on the Fight Last Peace Network, which we focus on everything business, side hustle, finances, public policy when it has to pertain to businesses and the economy. And then also I have a show that I co-host with A.D. Robles, who is also on the Fight, Laugh, Peace Network. We uh, called Reform Jellicle. We talk about politics, culture, and anything else that is pressing of the day. Okay, so let me touch down on the press down a little bit on the first one, how to build a tent. I okay. I also uh, locally here I host a radio program called Business and More. Last name's Greg Moore. So so smart there, uh, the <laughs> play on words. But it is it's very entrepreneurial based. I also own a business. At, now I don't have the MBA, but you said it's worthless. So I, I guess I'm at, pretty I'm close a, to I'm worthless. A, I'm a, <laughs> pretty close. I'm ahead there. I've always said, uh, I just want my kids to be curious and have work ethic. If they have those two things, I feel like they're going to do pretty good and have a plan B, mm-hmm. C and D. I know a lot of people that just have plan A's and when the A's go, you know, sideways, they don't know what to do. I've got four or five yeah. things going at all times, uh, you know, different revenue streams, things like that. So that's what interested me to your podcast because I went, hmm, I listened to 40 doctrinal and theo- theological and philosophical podcasts. And here's a guy yeah. that, is, you know, b- believes the same way I do. We're, we're in the same vein there. Uh, doctrinally and theologically, but yet is talking about things that also interest me in business. So what inspired that idea and how long have you been doing it? Yeah, well, I think it's coming up on two years. I'm just past 500 episodes. Uh, so that's been quite an accomplishment and a blessing. Uh, Wait, how many, episodes, it, how many episodes are you putting? 500 episodes in two years? Yeah, I do a daily show. So five, five a week. Wow. Good for you, man. Yeah. It's, been, it's a shorter show. It's only like usually 10 to 15 minutes long unless I get on a soapbox and then I can go 20, 30 minutes long. So I try to keep it nice and short for the daily commute or what we used to commute now that no one commutes. I guess it's just a break in the work day. Um, it came about because I was consulting and kind of helping the cross-politic guys figure out and how to grow their show. And then also taking Gabe's vision of creating a network where we have the theology like you're talking about we have a thousand different kinds of podcasts but also the practical application of it not that we have a christian business show but we have christians with the christian theology that is a business show not that we have a christian sports show 
but we have a sports show that has the theology and the foundations of the Christian worldview. And so I was working with him on kind of growing cross politic and positioning it in a place where we could create the network fight last piece. And so as being the person helping them do that, I thought, Hey man, the next, the second show on the network should be a business show and I'd be happy to do it. So let me just record like a few of a few shows. You tell me if I'm good or I suck. And if you think I'm good, let's get this network started. And so that the how to build a tent show was the first, new show on the net fight last season network. Wow. That's so, that's so awesome. And it's a great idea and it's very much needed as you said. Uh, and I, I really want to highlight the fact to the listeners to what you just said, you, you said not a Christian blank, but a blank that has a Christian worldview and, and, and ran and hosted by Christians. I feel like too often we, we, you know, may put ourselves in a different segment or sector and say, and just we'll mm-hmm. put Christian in front of it. Um, right. When in fact our worldview is, is biblical and Christian, and we're going through this world with that worldview, and, and then we impact the world through that worldview. And and it's awesome that you're actually relating biblical sound business principles that are found in the Bible with real world life experiences. I tell people all the time in this podcast, I know a lot of unbelievers that are very successful in business just because they use godly principles. Like those principles yeah. don't change. You can be, you could be a depraved person. And if you put to use some godly principles, you can gain and, and reap. But it, it is so nice for you to mesh those two together uh, there's probably a better word for it, but, uh, you know, bring those two together <laughs> in that podcast. So really quick before we get into our subject, which I think the listeners are really going to enjoy, tell me a little bit about the second podcast. Reform Jellicle is basically me wanting to document my journey. I grew up um, going to a non-denominational church, and I got saved at Calvary Chapel, which is allegedly a non-denominational church, but actually is a denomination. Um, and then I grew up, and well, not grew up, but in my Christian life, I guess you could say, I grew up and learning about Reformed theology from Gabe. Gabe and I would go back and forth arguing and debating and just um, discussing topics and having just growth and knowledge. And I find so much value in Reformed theology mm-hmm. beyond just the five points of Calvinism. And I think the rest of the evangelical world is missing a lot of that great growth and depth and thinking and legacy um, and mindset on the world. Yes. And they get hung up on the five points of Calvinism. So reform Jellical is basically my pitch that to AD and to the rest of the world to say, Hey, let's come together and be the whole body of Christ. Let's not just push off one side or another, but let's learn from each other. Let's think through things together and grow and push each other towards Jesus Christ. It's always a fine line for me because my story is a little bit like yours. Very legalistic growing up in church until I was maybe 10 or 11 to the point that certain (laughs) Christian music, uh, because it had a drum beat, was evil and the devil and kind of legalistic that way. And then kind of swing to a more charismatic connected with the Toronto blessing in the early nineties and stuff. So very wide swing. Um, I always tell people, I said the sinner's prayer at seven got saved at 24 when the Lord brought me to a place of complete brokenness, which I won't go into that there because the listeners have heard it a million times. But (laughs) my point was, is I wrestled with reformed theology from 24 until 30. I was, I was basically a closet Calvinist. I was taught those were evil, horrible people, not horrible people, but they didn't believe like us. Right. And then, but I, I read Edwards growing up. I read Pilgrim's Progress. I knew who Charles Spurgeon was. And then when I realized 
in my mid-20s, wait a minute, all these great fathers were reformed. Then I would read the Bible and go, well, the Bible says this. How do we make this make sense? And really wrestled with it for, you know, right, right until about when I was 30. I'm 39 now. And I said, I publicly came out and said, I, I think I'm reformed. And I walk a fine <laughs> line because... It almost sounds a little, I don't want it to sound boastful, but when I, when I read the Bible for what it was, I removed my traditions and I read the Bible for what it was and saw it through the lens of Reformed theology. I felt like my, my uh, walk with the Lord matured. My view of who God actually was became more reverenced and uh, I had more of a uh, respect. And I know that, you know, to someone who isn't Reformed, it sounds like, oh, well, you just think you've, you know, achieved it. No, no, I'm not saying I've, I've arrived. I'm saying the perspective on the way of who God was and who I was matured my sanctification and my walk in such a way that it allowed me to go, oh, this is... This is what Paul's talking about. This is what Christ was talking about. This, this, this is the sanctification and the walk and the relationship of the created uh, one versus the creator, you know, with the creator. So mm-hmm. when you say, man, I, I would love to, you know, uh, uh, bring that kind of view to evangelicals, I'm on board, man, because Amen. I see so much immaturity or a shallowness in the understanding of who God is, right? Like Proverbs tells us the beginning of wisdom is to fear and reverence the Lord, to know who we rightly are in juxtaposition of who he rightly is. And I feel too many Christians, especially in the Western Christian church, just don't truly understand how holy, sovereign, righteous, and just God is and who they are in relation. Doesn't mean he loves you any less. Doesn't mean he doesn't want good things for you. Doesn't mean he's, a, you know, the as my wife and I joke, the Catholic God that's just going to drop a piano on your head if you do something wrong. <laughs> there are repercussions yeah. for your sins. We all know that. But the fact that you're, uh, you're trying to really enter that segment, I think that's uh, a bridge that we need. Uh, because yeah, they get I, hung up on the points. They just get hung up on one right. or two things. Election and predestination. That's all my arguments <laughs> seem to surround, you know, with my evangelical yeah, friends. Exactly. They go right to, to the robot argument. And, and it's like, oh, my gosh, you're missing so much, you know. But, yeah, I'm right. sorry. Go and ahead. Let's, just put that, let's just put that to the side. And we'll come back to that later or think mm. about it later. There's so much more that we can dive into. And this is the thing too. And I, I know what you're saying. Like you don't want to seem like you're condescending to other people that aren't in the reformed faith. And it's not that I'm thinking when I'm saying I want to bring reformed theology to evangelicals that, Hey, you guys, you need to grow in wisdom. You need to grow in knowledge. You need to think just like us. But this is what I experienced and what I feel is a disservice to us. And I think, and this kind of goes to the business kind of just the, how an organization and the church is set up that, you are rewarded as the elders and pastors subconsciously or not to get people in the seat. Mm. And that's how you get tithe money. That's how you get your salary. That's how you pay for the expense of the church. That's not bad. That's not good. That's just how it is. There's no financial incentive any further than that. There's no financial benefit to you. So if you're consciously doing that, like Joel scene, yeah. where you're just trying to get people in the pews or you're subconsciously like, Hey, this is how we grow a church. This is what it looks like to be successful churches, getting people in the pews. Your message, your doctrine, your teaching is going to end there. And that's what I was seeing growing up. And again, I'm not saying there's any ill motive to it. I'm not saying people are doing like an evil thing like Joel Osteen is, but just naturally that's how it's going to be. When you are going to act and go towards the financial incentives because that's how you survive. That's how you bless your family. And so to go back to the point is so many of churches stop at the gospel conversion point and there's nothing left for us. There's nothing more to go after. 
It's not that you need to become smarter like reformed people. It's not that you have to uh, become a better Christian. It's what's next after you are saved. And I think that's where reformed theology is sexy. And that's where I think it is needed to grow deeper in Christians is, okay, now what? How do we apply the gospel to business? How do we apply the gospel to voting? How do we apply the gospel to economics? Mm. Those discussions don't happen in the church. And that's where I think that uh, there can be such a blessing for the global evangelical church to uh, really invest and get things from Reformed theology. Yeah, and wouldn't you kind of argue everything you just mentioned there after the conversion? That is a form of discipleship. I mean, that's what yep. Christ told us to do. I, I always find it amazing that first to disciple, then spread the gospel. Like the, the discipleship is the very first command when he tells us to go out and we uh-huh. we just want to convert and then stop. And, and then you just have a, a, a bunch of uh, baby Christians walking around, for lack of a better term. You can tell I grew up in the 80s. Yeah. <laughs> walking around yeah. going, well, what do we do now? I mean, do we just go to church once a week and do we help out at the soup kitchen uh, every other week? And, and that's what our Christian life is when in fact, you know, even going back to fight, laugh, feast and some of the stuff that you're talking about on your podcast, it's like, no, it's discipleship. It's, it's not only being mentored, but mentoring it's, uh, coming alongside like real world application on how we apply the gospel, uh, right now as we live it. And that's across all spectrums, including business like your podcast does. Absolutely. Well, hello there. I'm Reformed Joel Osteen. I just learned about the doctrines of grace. Yeah, and they're real. Now, I still love you, but I have to say, you're a horrible person. Yeah, a total wretch. Of course God loves you just the way you are. Oh, no, wait a minute now, that's not right. It says right here you need to repent of your sins. The Bible says God actually hates the wicked. Your righteous works are like filthy minstrel rags to God. (laughs) <laughs> I can't believe I just said the naughty M-word. Victoria's going to give me a real tongue lashing later. Well, anyway, may God bless you like he did to Job when he offered him up to Satan. I'm Reformed Joel Osteen. Let's shift gears here a little bit, though. Uh, because you brought up an interesting subject and as many people know on this podcast we love to have people on and they'll say well what do you want to talk about and I'll say well what are you passionate about what do you want to talk about and they go well I've never really had anyone ask me that they usually say hey will you talk about this I really like to find people that uh, you know the first thing that they want to talk about or or even they could be in a season of the Lord really impressing something upon them or they're, they're rolling it around, uh, you know, in their spirit and they're looking, they're reading in the, in, in the word. And, and you said, you know, I, I want to kind of talk about the, we preach and we, and we teach against the prosperity gospel, but also we, we need to preach and teach against the poverty gospel. And I went, Oh my gosh, I love that subject about eight or nine years ago. I was really into this and I can't even remember the preacher that uh, preached that poverty gospel, man. He, he would sell it. He wrote a book that was popular in like the mid 2000s sell everything you know wear ripped mm-hmm. clothes like never look up towards the sky uh because if you do it's pride and i just went yeah. man that doesn't seem right i read the bible and mm-hmm. i see and i see rich wealthy people uh that that were that were called righteous before god and, and that were good christians for the lack of a better term you know uh, and then you yeah. also see you know very wealthy people that were 
<laughs> that we're horrible people. And I don't know if the money is the issue, right? So what's your thoughts on that? Let's get kickstarted on the subject. We have a little bit of time left here. Do you see that as an issue in the church today? Or is that something that we need to stand against both both sides of those of that coin? Yeah, absolutely. It is an issue today. And I think it kind of just goes back to even what we were just talking about. Uh, I didn't plan it that way, but it's just salvation is it. And then there's nothing else. Well, that just doesn't fit with the Bible. And I honestly never even heard the term poverty gospel until one of my listeners brought it up and was so thankful to hear the show that we weren't talking, we were talking against it. We were preaching against the poverty gospel. So that term, I can't even say that I came up with it. But a long time ago, I read Proverbs thirteen twenty two. It says, a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, mm. but the sinner's wealth is laid up for the righteous. And I was thinking about that, of all that entails, what does it mean that I'm able to leave an inheritance to my children's children? Well, obviously that means I need to make some money. That obviously means I need to grow wealth. That is, how much assets I have minus my liabilities. That's the wealth. That's how much wealth you have. Mm. So if you have tons of student loan debt, you have a car loan, you have a house, uh, you know, you have a mortgage and you have $10,000 in the bank, you're not wealthy, dude. You are poor. You're not going to be able to leave an inheritance to your children. And there's ripping off of that, going through, thinking through the Bible, developing these things. You read things like where Jesus talks about the parable of the talent. Who was the evil person? It was the person who didn't grow their wealth. It was the person right. who had a skewed understanding of who God was and his expectations for him. He was a hard man. He thought, he thought Jesus was a hard man. And then Jesus re- rebuked him, er, er, the, the, uh, the owner in the story who gave the talents rebuked him and said, you should have at least put it in the bank to gain some money. Absolutely. But you just put it in the hole and you wasted your talent. So there's this theme in the Bible of what has God given you and how do you grow it and enhance it and develop it to become wealthy. And this is the, the line is, what is it for? What is your vision? What is the goal for your life? What has God called you to do? Then go use your money and your wealth for that. And that goes again to what we're talking about. It's beyond just salvation. It's leaving an inheritance for your children's children. It's building up your family. It's blessing your family. It's one of the spheres of government. It's growing your family and putting it in a position to be blessed and to bless others. It's being able to bless your church and help build up the church. It's being able to help your neighbor and your community. Like when you have wealth, when you're able to be successful in business, when you have multiple streams of income, you're more of a free man than somebody who's just dependent on a paycheck every two weeks. You're beholden to that employer and what he has for you. And you know that in yourself because you are more hesitant. You're not going to speak your mind. But if you have multiple streams of income, you're a free man. And then with those streams of income, what can you do for the kingdom of God? And so that is the dangers and what we need to get away from with the poverty gospel. There's no righteousness in being poor. There's no nobility in being poor. You're not more holy because you are poor. And so I think the Bible teaches that we need to grow our wealth. Yeah, and and I think it's, going back to what I said, I think it's a real heart issue. I mean, I think Martin Luther said, whatever you cling to in times of trouble, that is your true God. And I know a lot of Christians that will cling to their material goods, their job, their profession, their money in times of trouble. Well, that's the idol in their life then. 
Uh, and then you don't yeah. have to be rich to make money and idle. You can be yeah, very can be poor, poor and make money <laughs> right. and idle. I think it also goes back to the hard issue on the on the poverty side too. Is there's a false humility there sometimes? I mean, we we saw we saw this uh, even in the in, you know in the 14th and 15th century through the Catholic Church and things of of being poor and destitute was a sign of almost uh, piety, you know, of of religiosity right. and. I don't see that anywhere in the Bible. And when I hear people preach against uh, or preach for, the, I should say, the uh, poverty gospel, they bring out some proof texts that, that are kind of really taken out of context. You know, uh, Christ telling the rich young ruler, sell everything you have, come follow me. And you're like, well, that was his heart issue. The Lord knew his heart. He said, I'm a good man. Yeah. I've kept the law. I've done everything that I needed to. I'm a good Jew. Like, what else do I need to do? And the Lord was like, well, the one thing that you won't give up that has been made your idol. Going back to that Martin Luther, or that Luther quote. And, you know, you have, you have really well-known preachers taking that out of context and saying, well, yeah, that's what we should do then is sell everything and be poor and, you know, shows your holiness. And it really bugs yeah. me just as much as yeah. the Kenneth Copeland's and the uh, Joel Olstein's and the other, all the other ones that we kind of, you know, at this point, I'm just out and out mocking. And uh, because it's, it's ridiculous that this, that these guys go around calling themselves believers, biblical believers. And, mm-hmm. and I think we have a right to do that. Um, we can have the, you know, I always tease people and go, look at, I got a little bit of the spirit of Elijah in me, like cut yourselves a little deeper yell a little louder. Maybe your God will hear you then. If you want to choose to serve the world and the flesh, but call yourself a Christian, there's going to be some mocking involved when when the Lord uh, rightly decides to judge you. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm not saying I'm, uh, you know, I'm exempt from that. Believe me, I know every day my knee will bow one day and I will be held accountable for every wretched thing I did. So don't, don't, don't think for a second that by calling out something on someone else means that <laughs> I've said I've arrived either. I want listeners to understand that as well. But uh-huh. I see this actually coming back a little bit. Like it made a little bit of a of a of a resurgence in I want to say around like late 2000s, kind of when Driscoll was really popular. Man, I wish I could remember the name of that preacher for you. It's not Micah Wood. It's not I don't know, but anyway, it made it like a little bit. He was on Elephant Room. I don't know if you remember those talks uh, back in yeah. the day, that debacle. Uh, where you know, I, I didn't remember it, but I found it uh, like a year ago on YouTube, and I'm oh my goodness, this is a gem! I have to watch <laughs> this. It's so much good content. <laughs> yeah, no, there was a lot of good content, but now it's like half the pastors on it are like <laughs> being restored. Yeah, it's like, this. what's going yeah. on? McDowell, uh, the, the I don't know, the other guy that played ACDC down at his church. I can't remember. But anyway, we're getting off subject. So, yeah, yeah. I, I I hear it coming back a little bit though, in kind of in the outskirts of evangelicalism like oh no you can't have nice things like you like because i grew up my father owned a business it's so funny you introduce yourself that way he did pay us but it was a very minimum wage but i mean from the time i was nine until (laughs) 18 i mean for nine ten years if i could lift the box you know and we did trade shows he was a computer wholesaler so all over the United States, uh, back in the day when you could sell an IBM keyboard for $150, you know, it was the good old days, you know, uh, Ram, you yeah. know, and hard drives and all that, all the peripherals. And people always ask me like, why do you have no problem talking? It's like, because my dad would send me out with a hundred hard drives and go, go to those thousand people and don't come back until they're sold. And I'm 12 years old. Yeah. 
mm-hmm. so you learn very fast how to kind of have a sales pitch, how to introduce yourself, how to carry on a conversation. So we're kind of we're kind of sim- value. Sorry, I just want to point this out because that's a really good point that some people might miss. This is the value of thinking like a business person in your own family, even. And, uh, I know David uh, Chocolate Knox, as a lot of you know from Cross Politics, he makes sure. this point that business is grown out of the family, and that's how God intended it. And so when you have bring business in side hustles or just the project and you bring that into the family and have your kids experience it, you get to learn skills like Greg's talking about. Yeah. It's a blessing beyond just the money you make from it. No, absolutely. But he had a very legalistic view about borrowing. You don't borrow money, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Proverbs says you don't borrow money. Then I grow up and I realize, oh no, Proverbs is just giving me a very practical warning. It doesn't say don't borrow money. It says just be aware that the borrower becomes slave to the lender. So there's repercussions in that. There's nothing wrong with borrowing money. It's just giving us a a discernment and and, and a and a piece of wisdom there, saying, "Look, at, you're going to have responsibilities. So you know, if you feel you're going to be the next uh, Mother Teresa and you're going to go to missions around the world, but you have a car payment, a student debt, and a and a mortgage, well, guess what? You have other responsibilities now." you're not going to be able to pick up and do those things. You you need to know that when you borrow, you're in a contract. And as Christians, we honor the the contracts that we, that we get into, whether verbally or written. And it's just a very good warning. The book that, and I don't know how we're getting back on business here, but it kind of, you know, (laughs) goes with the, with the poverty gospel Mm -hmm. and and two things, the, the the book, rich dad, poor dad, when, when I was still running from, from the Lord, as hard as I could, that kind of opened my eyes. I don't know if anyone's ever read that, but it was just a juxtaposition of, save your money, put 25% in the bank versus, Hey, use other people's money and, you, you know, uh, borrow and, and flip right. and, you know, kind of the way my brain thinks. And that yeah. was an eye opener for me. And I just went, those things do, you know, and I'm not saying doing anything illegal or immoral. I'm saying <laughs> being wise like that and discerning with money is biblical. Um, right. Solomon, is, Solomon didn't get to where he was at <laughs> by saving right. 10% in his, uh, temple bank. Okay. This is the key, is knowing what Proverbs says, that you become a slave to the lender. The trick is, is so when you do borrow money, you're not borrowing it like via credit card to buy $300 pair of jeans. Mm. You're borrowing money to purchase an asset that's going to return on that investment, return on that borrowed money greater than the interest that you owe the lender. Come on. So you are not enslaved. You actually are at a net benefit. You have wealth. That's how you grow wealth is you are able to do things with money and a greater return than the cost of the money, which is your interest. And Absolutely. so that's what you listeners need to understand is you're not just borrowing money to borrow money. It's how do you borrow money to grow in your wealth by investing in assets with that borrowed money, not in consumption goods that aren't going to give you a return on your investment. That's the secret to growing wealth. Absolutely. So why do you think there is this stream within Christianity that looks at the poverty gospel as something that is something they should attain, that uh, the the less I have, the more holy I am? Do you think it's just because of where we are geographically in this country? Western Christianity is just so wealthy. I mean, if you make over $36,000 as a single person, you're in the top 1% globally as in wealth. So like, are we so wealthy that we go, Oh, that's a distraction. So we should try to achieve poverty. I I feel like if I go to India, I go to Turkey, I go to uh, Nicaragua, maybe the poverty gospel isn't really going to be that appealing just because they're already living in poverty. So it's like, what do you, why do you think there is this push 
And I don't think it's uh, that that huge. I think it's in the minority, but I do hear the rumblings of it within the evangelical community of kind of like, oh no, money is bad, material things are bad. You have to you have to keep it in check and, and basically be poor. And wh- why do you think that is? Like, is it a cultural thing? Is it a is it a country um, thing? There, I think there's several different things. I think why we're seeing a resurgence is predominantly a cultural thing because there is this Marxist push in society right now where the rich are oppressing the poor. No one wants to be rich because mm. those are the evil people. And so there's been this, uh, this connotation to wealth that you're evil, that you've obtained it through, uh, you know, poor sinful means where right. you've done, some, you've wronged somebody else. It's a zero sum game. I think that's part of it. And where people just, the church is influenced by the culture. I think also it's a poor theology that people haven't developed and understood what the Bible actually teaches about it, which I think goes to what pastors believe as well. And then third, I think just there's a lot of people that aren't good at making money and they want to make themselves feel better about it. Mm. And they don't know how to do it. They don't want to try. They don't want to take risks. They don't want to take a hundred keyboards and go sell them to a thousand people. They don't want to do that. And so I think just naturally as humans, we try to justify our comfort and make ourselves feel better. And I think that's part of it as well. Mm, those are good points. I mean, th- those are really good points. I think there's a lot of uh, heart issue there too with, uh, mm-hmm. w- with that. Meaning, you know, the, the minute that I gave up pursuing a certain number or a certain status uh, w- with the money I was making and I gave that up to God and I said, Lord, don't give me any more than I can handle. Give me just enough to, to provide for me and my family. That was the instant that some of the other opportunities in, in the business ventures I was doing started to thrive. It was almost as mm. if there was something, and, and it is a biblical principle, but there was something there that said that the, the more I hung on to it and tried to do it in my own might, mm-hmm. the, the minute I released that and just went, it, does, it doesn't matter. You know, then I think there was a maturity there too with me. Uh, you know, as you get older, you realize keeping up with the Joneses is a joke. I don't need the nicest of everything. Like we're only here for a season. Like Ecclesiastes will like seriously set you in your place. I mean, that guy was, you know, uh, just the kind of the manic depressive of like, there's nothing new under the sun. It's all going to go to waste. Like there is something to that. That is absolutely true. And in the minute uh, I released that and just went, no, I don't. Then it started to start, really start to take off. I'm very comfortable. I, I never lack, I lack for nothing. I'm not rich by any mm-hmm. means. Right. When I say rich, you know, that's a subjective standard. But at the same time, I think what you were saying, some people say, well, if I can't achieve that or I want it so much that then I have to go the opposite direction. Like if you're right. focusing so much on a number or, or money or materials, then maybe the poverty gospel does feel, you know, f- feel like a great theology for you because it's trying to fix something that's, uh, you know, wrong, wrong with the heart. It's a heart issue. And, and you're just going from one bad theology to another focused on prosperity. Well, then maybe I focus on poverty and it's like, well, no, the issue is really the heart. And, and like I said, just a few minutes ago is what are you focusing on in your times of need and trouble? If it's not God, well, then that's your idol. And, and I think yeah, absolutely. Mo- money can be an idol on both ends. Like, well, like we're saying the lack of it yeah. and uh, having too much rich of it. people, rich people find money to be an idol when they find their comfort and how big their bank account is and think they can't be touched or mm. they have some kind of worth in it. Poor people find it as an idol that if I just had this, I'd be happy. That's where I think I've seen it the most expressed as idolatry is, there's a the security, a false sense of security that happens from those who have it. Yeah. And there's this utopian dream that once I have X amount of money, 
then I'll be content. Then I'll be happy. Then I will be able to be what Christ has called me to be. And that's where the idolatry is. But to find, I find in my own life, the more Christ is on the throne, the less I think in those terms of ascribing, you know, attributing these kinds of, um, I don't know how to say it, like a false gospel to these things yeah. where I'm going to be happy when I have money. I stopped thinking like that way at all. It's a complete paradigm shift where it's no longer, oh, I'll just have, I, once I get to this level, I'll be content, I'll be happy. It's why, what can I do at that level for the kingdom of God? It's no longer inner focus. It's no longer about me and my happiness. It's I want to grow my money so that God can use it to bless mm. and um, build up other people. And let me just give you two examples just from my show from listeners. Sure. One person who came up to me at the conference, he's making... He made from this last year of listening to the show and me helping him kind of grow his business an extra $50,000 on the side of his normal job. So that's not him leaving his job and going to make $50,000 a year. He just was able to make $50,000 in addition to his normal salary. And now he's using that for the kingdom of God. Mm. There's somebody who got fired actually or laid off because of COVID, listened to the show, and then he went and volunteered for free at another company listening to some of the things we talked about on the show. And because of that, they offered him a job making $20,000 more than he was before he got laid off at his old job, which allowed him to put his kids into a Christian education school. Like the ramifications of that Mm. are um, exponential. We don't know all the things that are going to come from that. And I'm able to have a podcast to help people do that because I'm in a position where I don't have to work a nine to five job. And that's the point. It's not so that I can grow my wealth and live life large and fly around in private jets. It's that I have freedom, I have autonomy, and how do I use all of these things to further the kingdom of God in people's lives? And God will bless that perspective, not for the material gains of it, but because it's his kingdom and he wants to grow his kingdom. Oh my gosh, man. I'm loving it. You're like preaching to me over here. I totally agree with all of that. I mean, just think of it. We're just, we're two guys sitting here at 10 o'clock, 1030, whatever time it is in the morning, uh, yeah. <laughs> discussing, you know, should we be at a job? Well, you know what I mean? The Lord has blessed us. Obviously we, we work hard at that. The Lord knows the desires of our hearts. The goal is to have those desires line up with his will, but you're totally right. I, I went from a six figure job with full health benefits to starting my own business in the real estate business when it was in the downturn. And I went <laughs> and I prayed about it and I said, Lord, I don't want to do this. And my wife prayed with me and we prayed again and again until we gave into the Lord where he said, no, you need to do this. And now looking back 10 years later, I have, I have the freedom. I'm able to run as an elected official, as a County commissioner here uh, for the last six years we're able to homeschool. I'm able to do yeah. all these things that, that allow me to advance the kingdom of God and take, take that money that I make and, and, and apply that to uh, the kingdom. That's, that's an insane thing that when I look back on that, I went, I, I wasn't even thinking that way. The Lord wasn't even, I, I wasn't, e- didn't even have that headspace. But obviously right. in his providence, the Lord knows exactly what he's doing and, and was like, nope, this is your time to do that. And Honestly, you know, I was at a Fortune 500 company for 10 years, almost 10 years, nine years. And I thought, Mm -hmm. hey, I'm on the VP track. This is what I'm going to do. Like, I love what I do. And once I owned my own business, I went, I I can never work for anyone ever again. (laughs) I can't, I can't do that. I, you know, I hear that all the time. (laughs) 
I love the fact that I get up every morning and I'm like, let's not be homeless next month. Like, I love that, that challenge, that goal. Like, how can I grow this? If I fail, it's on me. It's on no one else. I can't blame anyone. Uh, you know, I have a couple employees that do, do some things, um, you know, through office work and stuff like that, but not full time. Mm -hmm. So it's like, I can only blame myself. And I love that personal responsibility. And two, I love the fact that I can then sow that into the kingdom, which is what you're talking about. So as we finish That's up right. here, Matt, can you give us some final thoughts? Also uh, throw out any social media handles that you have where people could get in touch with you and then uh, throw out the names of the podcast one more time. Yeah, absolutely. You can find me on all the social media sites, how to build a tent, including Parler, which is the one place I don't get censored. Um, I was actually banned from Twitter last week for quoting Romans one. Um, wait, wait, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I got to interrupt. You got banned <laughs> from Twitter. Cause we know Twitter's a cesspool liberal piece of, you know, whatever. Uh, yeah, so what, right. wait, can you tell that story very quickly? What happened there? Yeah, no, I just simply quoted the last part of Romans one, where I was telling people that those who, um, commit murder and those who approve of it are as guilty as mm. uh, someone who actually does murder. And uh, Twitter didn't like that, so they banned me for a day. Wow. Yeah. So that's why I'm on places like Parlor. Uh, you can email me, Matt, at howtobuildatent.com. Feel free to reach out to me with any questions that you guys have. You're thinking about starting a business, need some direction. That's what I do. I'm here to help you guys. Um, I would love to connect with you and to see where you're at in life. My podcast is How to Build a Tent on the Fight Last Peace Network and then Reform Jellicle. You can find that on YouTube and wherever you listen to podcasts as well. Beautiful. Well, Matt Williams, I appreciate you calling in, taking time to discuss those things with us. It was very, very informational. I'm sure the listeners will love it too. And thanks for being here. Matt Williams, everybody. Thanks, Greg. <laughs> Have a good one, Matt. Thanks. God bless. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Dead Men Walking Podcast for full video podcast episodes and clips or email us at deadmenwalkingpodcast at gmail.com. None your biscuits. Be sure to check us out at dmwpodcast.com where you can purchase the best and snarkiest merch on the internet, support the show, and leave us a review or message. Dead Men Walking can be found on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Dead Men Walking Podcast and on Twitter X at Real DMW Podcast. The Dead Men Walking Podcast is part of the Fight Laugh Feast Network. For exclusive show content, be sure to download the Pump TV app and become a member. If you're a business that needs to reach hundreds of thousands of potential customers in your demographic, podcast advertising might be for you. Send all inquiries to Dead Men Walking Podcast at gmail.com. None your biscuits.